Hey ya girlies, it's me, Devlin Camp. This is a special queer serial announcement coming to you from the future, 2023. You're listening to an episode from the past, during which you might hear me plug some bonus content, especially in the credits. But as of 2023, here's everything you need to know if you want more queer serial, or if you want to support my many ongoing LGBTQ history projects. I got a lot going on. You can sign up for periodic email updates at the link for everything in the episode notes. First off, you can now listen to my entire backlog of Queer Serial bonus episodes on Apple Podcasts, just like you listen to the regular episodes. Just head to the Queer Serial show page on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to additional bonus episodes for $2.99 a month. Those episodes are everything from my Patreon, minus the visual stuff, but all of the bonus episodes. It includes all of the spin-off episodes, Forgotten Fairy Tales, the White Knight Riots interviews, all of my Mattachine meeting interviews, Randy Wicker Radio, etc., 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 every episode of everything I've ever made. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for $2.99 a month, or still for $3 a month on Patreon if you want the bonus episodes and all of my visual research and my archive dives included, and behind the scenes of my Randy Wicker documentary. Also, If you're a Spotify kind of girl like me, you can also get all of my bonus episodes through Spotify now too. Just go to the podcast section and search Queer Serial Bonus Shows and there's a whole feed of Queer Serial Bonus Shows. And if you wanna get some gay merch while also supporting my queer history projects, check out the new Queer Serial Etsy shop. Etsy.com slash shop slash queer history uplift. There's a link in the episode notes here. I've got podcast merch from throughout the series and also lots of queer history related items like postcards from Mona's 1930s lesbian bar and Marsha P. Johnson stickers with her own handwriting that says gay love always straight from the Wicker and Johnson archive that I've been working on. And I've got gorgeous mugs that say queer history is world history. Other stickers that say drag is not a crime with a real photo of drag queens being arrested. And I've got these warning stickers that you can put in textbooks that are lacking queer history to warn future readers. Lots of other buttons and other stuff on Etsy too. There are links to everything in the episode notes here and at QueerSerial.com or just search for me on Instagram, Etsy, Patreon, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I think that's everything. While you're on QueerSerial.com, by the way, check out the new episode guide. You can explore the entire podcast series episode by episode with all the research and transcripts and bonus episodes and lots of photos and videos from the true history that I cover, all at QueerSerial.com. Finally, last thing, you don't have to, but if you'd like to, go ahead and catch up on all four seasons of Queer Serial and the bonus episodes before season five comes out this October, Queer History Month. The new season is a standalone story in our history and a spin-off of an event that I briefly touched on in Season 3, Episode 7, if you want a hint. Stay tuned. Thanks so much for all of your support. I literally couldn't do it without you. Enjoy the show. This podcast includes text from real homophile-era publications, letters, and organizational documents read by voice actors. The show contains identifying terms that may now be out of date. Summer, 1959. Russ Walden's 15-point program is a program of progress for you, for all San Franciscans. You know Russell L. Walden. You know he means it when he declares in his program, I will appoint men to the police commission who command the confidence and loyalty of rank-and-file members of the department and will permit officers and men to perform their duties without political interference. Elect Walden Mayor. Walden Premier Committee, 1198 Market Street, SF.
re-elect George Christopher, a good mayor. He gets things done. Sponsored by Christopher for Mayor Committee. It's been a long, hot summer since Chief of Police Frank Ahern died of a heart attack at a baseball game. When San Francisco Mayor George Christopher needed a chief who would crack down with the same ambition as Ahern, he found that drive in Thomas Cahill. Cahill orders Ahern's policies to stay in place and for police to keep San Francisco a closed town. He implements new S-Squad tactics, the S standing for Strategy of Saturation and Selective Enforcement. The S-Squads of 64 undercover officers hit the streets two to four nights per week to question any citizen who looks suspicious. Arrest rates soar as the squads bring in gays from the bars and many other selectively enforced people of suspicion. Transgender people, sex workers, people drunk in public, underage kids, racial minorities, many of each are queer. The chief squads are called Gestapo-style by the district attorney, but Mayor Christopher supports them, and he has the support of the three major newspapers. Some of the public is furious. The mayor has cracked down so hard that some citizens long for a time when San Francisco was a wide-open town. Others say, finally, after a century, someone is cleaning up this town. City Assessor Russell Walden sees his opening to take the lead in the 1959 mayoral election. Phyllis Lyon, President, Del Martin, Vice President of the Daughters of Belitis. An FBI special agent writes to the special agent in charge in San Francisco. It will be noted there has been a large number of homosexuals and lesbians drifting into San Francisco. And most of the contact are gathering spots for these individuals, which are so-called queer bars. Statements have been made by informants that there are approximately 40 queer bars in San Francisco at the present time. Investigation is being conducted to identify and list the owners of all these bars. The following day, the list is sent by the agent. Known hangouts of homosexuals. Two sources confirm the list. The San Francisco special agent in charge forwards the list to military authorities in order to take... Disciplinary actions against the first ten bars on the list. The Paper Doll, the 57 Club, the Black Cat, the Handlebar... Should I tell my parents, my brothers, sister? Should I confide in my fiance, my closest friends and associates? How can I tell my wife, my husband, my son or daughter? Do I dare let it be known to my employer? What good would it do? What possible harm? Elver Barker writes from Denver in the Mattachine Review. It is an undeniable and uncomfortable fact that we homosexuals ourselves are largely responsible for the aura of ignorance and prejudice which enshrouds us. We are responsible because of our silence, and our silence is rooted in fear. No human being should have to live in fear of his fellow men. The homosexual's fear is caused by the prejudice of society which we have failed to enlighten. We are caught in a vicious circle of our own maintenance. Laying our cards on the table would explain many things about us. It would unveil the mystery from that impenetrable something which others have not been able to understand and it would remove the feeling of our estrangement from the very people we love the most. Some homosexuals claim it is more fun the way it is. They find excitement in secrecy, a thrill in fear itself, but the innumerable homosexuals who have been purged from their employment would hardly call their predicament fun. 
nor would those who have been unjustly arrested, paid heavy fines, had embarrassing publicity, or gone to prison for harmless elements of their personal lives. And those who have been betrayed, treacherously entrapped, or blackmailed, or who have had their very lives threatened, would hardly say they enjoyed playing that kind of game. Such weapons should be rendered ineffective in a social climate of truth. So long as we homosexuals help maintain society's ignorance, we are guarding the very weapons we fear. Mattachine is going public. Previously. Throw away that brochure on homosexual rights in the law. I've been told by WABD executives that we will not be covering the previously announced topic today, but we should talk about something else. Anything else. It's high time we stop giving a damn what those masked members do with their money. Sex and drug tourism seizes up as letters pour into Mayor Christopher's office, lashing out at the mayor for stopping their thriving vice businesses. It got to the point where you'd have thought that they were the crusaders and I was the bad guy. Why a chapter in your area? Only so much can be accomplished by the printed word. The therapy of group discussion of mutual problems cannot be denied. Uh, You mentioned, Mrs. Gailey, that uh, you had become uh, a member of the society because your son was a member. That's true. Basically, I loved my son. I wasn't about to uh, put him out of the family. Uh, So I decided I wouldn't try to understand it. Elver Barker sets up his Denver Mattachine chapter while writing a 63-page educational handbook explaining how to create your own Mattachine chapter. I agree. Hal's business has been good for his movement. These figures will stand up, as I'm sure you will learn. PanGraphic was set up as a commercial publishing and lithographic firm, primarily for the purpose of printing the Mattachine Review at the lowest possible cost. If I see that the results of this investigation into Hal are not going to be sufficient, then I am definitely planning on flying to New York to talk to you in person. This is less than one half of what it would have cost if done commercially. No individual has profited one cent. This is the serialized story of queer liberation in America from day one to Stonewall. I'm Devlin Camp. As of 1959, the Mattachine Society has area councils in seven cities, each with its own newsletter, lectures, and meetings. There are 272 nationwide members, and the national headquarters distributes their magazine, the Mattachine Review. Well, Pangraphic Press distributes it out of the same office. The national headquarters in San Francisco, still at 693 Mission Street on the third floor, it has five rooms and an 800-volume library. It funds hundreds of social service cases the small staff is working through while up to 40 calls per day are answered and dozens of letters are sifted through each morning. The Mattachine Society helps teachers who lost their credentials, psychologists looking for accurate information, and researchers of sexual variance. The publications fund most of their operations here now, and sales are improving now that Ken Burns and Dale Olson have resigned and Hal Call can make the Mattachine Review a bit more sexual. While San Francisco thrives, though, other chapters begin to dwindle. Mail to the L.A. chapter is returned to sender. Their post office box has been closed. Chicago members are too scared to even go to the post office to close their box. The police shut down their stuffed full mailbox and send it all back to its senders, too. The Chicago Mattachine vanishes. Hal is eager to expand membership in other cities. He strategizes with his confidant in Denver, Elver Barker. Elver suggests a homosexual pen pal club through the magazine, like Henry Gerber's Contacts. 
Hal says a sexual correspondence club would be the kiss of death for us. Fear of the unknown is the essence of the public's problem about us. So is your fear of the pen pal clubs. Sex is a tricky topic. Ken and Dale refused for it to be covered in the magazine for a reason. Many believe too much exposure of their sexual habits will undo their progress. The public will find them disgusting. A drugstore tabloid called Man's Magazine this year is already writing of the Mattachine Society as, quote, a semi-secret order within the nightmare world of gay men. They write, As for the Mattachine Society, little is known as to how it precisely operates, but it is known that it serves countless numbers of hidden homosexuals. Some Mattachinos believe their secrecy is making them look mischievous. Didn't they root out their communists so that they could be more public? Many others find it upsetting that one of the Mattachine panelists on Showcase, J.J. Belanger, was discharged from the military for being exposed as homosexual. They think it makes them look bad. Do you possibly feel that your usefulness as a national officer may perhaps be over because of your recent trouble? It would be nice if all the national officers had completely spotless histories behind them without any blots. How dare anyone even think such a thing? Fear of publicity of the fact of such a discharge is a perfect example of why the Mattachine Society exists. Such blots on the record of an individual in no way makes that person unsuited for membership or office within the society. If every member of Mattachine who has ever been arrested or cashiered out of the armed forces or ever lost a job, etc., because of his homosexual nature were to be banned from the society, then close to half of our membership, I should guess, would have to get out. I, for one, would have to go. The most dedicated and valuable workers in the society often come from the ranks of the people who have felt the sting of the bad laws and savage, outmoded attitudes toward the homosexual. JJ, the showcase panelist who was sitting next to Tony Segura in his mask on TV, JJ tells Denver members to spread word of the Mattachine in the open, no matter your legal history. He follows the advice of his Denver leader, Elver Barker. Tell everyone you know about the Mattachine Society. Homosexual life can be downright fun. It should not be peddled in the shadows of the cruisiest streets like the latest samples of pornography. Yes, I state my interest in organizational work for sexual equality as matter-of-factly as I state my interest in painting pictures. When individuals show a further interest, I send them Mattachine literature. Elver is inspired by his chapter's general support of publicity for activism. He writes from Denver to the Mattachine board, to One magazine, and to the Daughters of Belitis. These radical proposals, I recommend, are certain steps some members have feared to take in the past. When are we going to stop fearing our own fears? Granted, there is an element of risk involved, but if we really believe in our cause, then shouldn't we be willing to take that risk? The Mattachine Society Board approves Elver Barker's Denver chapter to host the 6th Annual Convention. Only by an educational program aimed directly at the general public can our organization help abolish prejudice and halt discrimination in employment and other areas of life. If such publicity were accepted by newspapers, radio, and TV, it would be handled by those media in an objective and respectful manner. Some of the great men of history were homosexual. 
Homosexuals as such have only limited social and civil rights. In fact, our whole society is organized to keep them, in many respects, more completely oppressed than our various racial and Mr. religious Call. minorities. Mr. Call. Mr. Call. Mr. Call, your magazine states to contain accurate Why are you going public now, Mr. Call? We would like to thank the Albany Hotel for hosting this conference, and we invite you all to attend our public lectures throughout the convention. To answer that question, the word Mattachine comes from medieval France. Group to discuss homosexual needs. Society probes problem of perversion. Homophile defense voiced at session. Denver man is elected by Mattachine Society. Group seeks to end homosexual stigma. Some of the great men of history were homosexual. Homosexuals, as such, have only limited social... The heaps of headlines are bundled into a brochure for other chapters across the country to prove the organization's value in the media. The brochure is titled... Breakthrough in the Conspiracy of Silence. September 4th, 1959. The sixth annual Labor Day convention begins with a keynote titled New Frontiers in Acceptance of the Homophile. Gathered in the audience are the usual players, Hal Call and Don Lucas from San Francisco, Jim Kepner writing for One Magazine, Hal's ex-boyfriend Jack, Curtis Deweese and Alda Dion from New York. Rumors of Kenneth Zwerin appearing are shared, but he doesn't show. Two burly men sit near Elver Barker. The convention is public and many new people are attending. Many daughters of Belitis travel to Denver to join the discussion. Ever the politically savvy, Hal brings along a new prosperous friend, Bill Brandhove, who pays for the San Francisco's hotel rooms and drinks. Bill Brandhove even hires a stenographer for the convention. Brandhove was escorted around on Hal's arm, setting up drinks for everyone Hal wanted to influence. Nominations are now open for the position of parliamentarian for this convention. Mr. Chairman, I understand we do have a member from the San Francisco Area Council who is well qualified and highly recommended for this particular task. I nominate Bill Brandhove. Thank you, Mr. Harding. The typical debates ensue, lectures, cocktail parties, business meetings. Motion to appoint a constitutional committee. Nay. Hal Call submits his 84 proxy votes. Once again, by signing on so many members in the Bay Area, however uninvolved in the organization they might be, Hal holds more than half of the 142 votes in the convention, and a considerable number of supporters among the delegates. The nays have it. The next report is from the Director of Education, Carl B. Harding. Elver Barker. Mr. Chairman and fellow members, at the 5th Annual Convention last year in New York City, the manuscript of the Educational Handbook was submitted for approval of its publication. Over 30 individuals had cooperated in compiling and editing of the manuscript. No matter who is education director one or two years from now, I believe we should work toward an improved revised second edition as a more effective instrument in our work. As your director of education, I am most concerned that we do reach the general public as well as homosexuals and other sex variants in our education outreach. Because publicity of our educational meetings through the press, radio, and television has been and still is a controversial issue, I brought this matter to a head by obtaining a democratic vote on whether or not to publicize this, our sixth annual convention. My publicity proposals for pre-convention publicity by newspapers, radio, and TV were voted upon individually by members of the Denver Area Council. Also, I sought the opinion of officers in our fellow organizations, One Incorporated and the Daughters of Belitis. 
The results have been far more extensive and better than any of us in Denver anticipated. To the best of my knowledge, as of now, there have been five articles published. Three of these were in the Denver Post, one item of which included the Denver Area Council mailing address and my phone number as local secretary. Five letters of inquiry have been received thus far, and yesterday there were a few new people who attended the panel and one Central City excursion as a result of having read about our convention in the newspapers. I believe the present convention has set a precedent for the publicity of future conventions. We have proven now that it can be done, and one of the important factors about publicity of this kind is that the cost is so very little. In closing my report, I must say sincerely that I would like to be your educational director again for at least one year. If I am re-elected, I have at least one major project in mind. Last January, Edward R. Murrow narrated a one-hour CBS program entitled The Business of Sex. The tape-recorded program included excerpts from interviews with prostitutes themselves with Madam's big businessmen in the call girl racket, Margaret Mead, a Roman Catholic priest, a psychologist, and others. I believe the Mattachine Society could organize a similar program comparable in structure. Officers of Mattachine, one, and the Daughters of Elitis, and from interviews with professional people recognized for outstanding work in different fields related to our cause. Will you please give this idea your prayerful thought? Thank you. You have heard the report. What is your pleasure? I move that it be accepted. Do I hear a second? I second the motion. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? So carried. The next department to be heard from is the Director of Publications, Mr. Hal Call. I would like to first present a comment in connection with a report made by the Director of Education. Mr. Harold Winkler, the president of the radio station KPFA in Berkeley, contacted us recently at the office and stated that his radio station is going to prepare a documentary of one or two hours length from homosexuals along the lines of the type of program you suggested. I would like to make a report of the publications department as an informal one, and instead of telling what the department has done, entertain questions from the floor about what it is doing, how it is doing, and how the publications director of the society, who at the present time is having to fit in a questionable, let's say dual capacity, entertain any questions from this group about that relationship. Now here I am. Let's fire. The convention then goes in on Hal, asking him all sorts of questions about how he runs Pangraphic Press. They ask about the time it takes to build the Mattachine Review, the labor utilized, the profits made, the intent of his business from the very beginning. I did not quit a job to work over on the society side full-time or over on 693 Mission full-time because I wanted to become a commercial printer. I have been a commercial printer. I did it because I wished to work with a sociological project such as the Mattachine. Four months. The interrogation of Hal Call goes on and on, and he charms and charms until lunch. The printer at the end of that said, I'll tell you how to get the review back. Take the damn thing. I don't want it. <laughs> the meeting will please come to order. I like to open this afternoon's session by reading a telegram which was received. It reads, Dearly beloved idiots, thank you. I am deeply honored. Signed, Leah Gately. <laughs> So I guess she appreciates her Member of the Year award. Would Mr. King like to speak at this time on the Chicago area? Sure. 
Mr. Chairman, ladies and gentlemen of the convention, I am most happy to report as a Chicago area chairman that we must be recognized as this sixth annual convention with 11 charter members as a new Chicago area council. As the convention carries on, members take shots at Hal's power and his 84 proxies. Motion that all members must have a thorough knowledge of the Mattachine Society and actively participate. One vote for. Eight votes for. One vote for. Four. We vote no. Nay. The motion is defeated, 47 for and 98 against. Motion to remove Mattachine publications from Pangraphic Press and replace Hal Call's seat. Nay. Nay. Aye. Nay. The nays have it. I submit a resolution. A collaboration between myself and our new constituent, Mr. Brandhove, to express that the Mattachine Society is deeply appreciative of the efforts of law enforcement authorities in San Francisco for allowing our call for tolerance and understanding of the problems and rights of certain minority groups to be exercised by this organization. We wish to pass this resolution in order to Butter our bread with a couple of areas in San Francisco. <laughs> it will do the entire organization a lot of good. Now, therefore, be it here resolved that the Mattachine Society go on record as recognizing and expressing its appreciation to Mayor George Christopher and Police Chief Thomas Cahill for their persistent and consistent efforts to conduct their administration with these high ideals foremost in mind, and I congratulate them for favorable results in the sociological problem areas. Aye. Aye. The resolution in support of passes unanimously. As Denver's Mattachine is overwhelmed with membership requests, homophiles across the country report on the convention's successes. One magazine. An effective publicity campaign. The American homophile movement took a great stride forward toward maturity with the Mattachine Society's sixth annual convention. The most surprising gain was the matter of publicity. The result was a full and fair coverage of the convention. The press coverage was revolutionary. The New York Mattachine Newsletter. Sixth annual convention makes Mattachine history. The latter. Mattachine breaks through the conspiracy of silence. Belita's co-founder, Del Martin, writes, At every one of these conventions I attend, Year after year, I find I must defend the Daughters of Belitis as a separate and distinct women's organization. What do you men know about lesbians? In all of your programs and your review, you speak of the male homosexual and follow this with, oh yes, and incidentally, there are some female homosexuals too. And because they are homosexuals, all of this should apply to them as well. One has done a little better. Neither organization has recognized the fact that lesbians are women and that this 20th century is the era of emancipation of women. Lesbians are not satisfied to be auxiliary members or second-class homosexuals. Despite the Mattachine overlooking lesbians at the convention, Belitis will stand alongside the men when the convention's hidden scandal breaks one month later. This week's bonus episode is here on the free feed for everyone to hear. The episode features Wendell Sayers, a Denver Mattachino and the first black assistant attorney general in the state of Colorado. Sayers was one of few people of color to join the Mattachine Society, and he attended the sixth annual convention, which we just heard. 
This bonus episode is an interview between the real Wendell Sayers and historian Eric Marcus from the Making Gay History podcast. I was as scared as the rest of them. Boy, I wasn't scared of the same thing as they was. Just imagine the Denver Post would come out front page. First black in the attorney general's office turns out to be. I had been raised so much as a underdog. I just would have done anything if I could have taken a step higher, see. Regardless of my gayness, I was still somebody. For more bonus content, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash queer serial. The newest episode is an interview between me and founding radical fairy Joey Kane, who voices Elver Barker on this podcast. Also, I've got 1950s gay radio archives, a murder mystery, and all sorts of extra soapy queer history drama. Click the link in the episode notes to subscribe to my bonus podcast. Darlene Arnbeck, stenographer, how can I help you? Hello, Miss Arnbeck, this is Bill Brandhove. Do you remember me? From the homosexuals convention? How could I forget? How are you, Mr. Brandhove? I'm well, thank you. Lovely to hear from you. I'm wondering if you might provide three copies of the minutes you typed at our Mattachine convention. I need to take them to a notary. Of course, Mr. Brandhove. I happen to be a notary myself. If you'd like to come by, Thank you, ma'am. October 7th, 1959, the San Francisco Progress. Sex deviates make SF headquarters. A just-completed survey of vice conditions in San Francisco discloses that this city, during the Christopher administration, has become the national headquarters of the organized homosexuals in the United States. It is a sordid tale, one which will revolt every decent San Franciscan, but one which the San Francisco Progress believes is of vital importance to our city, and therefore must be told. The survey was made in an effort to determine the truth or falsity of George Christopher's claim that he has given the people a quote-unquote clean city. The facts are that some of the big call girl operations and a number of minor bookmakers have been put out of business, but in their place another form of vice, homosexualism, has been allowed to flourish to a shocking extent and under shocking circumstances. Last month, at a convention of deviates in Denver, Colorado, a resolution passed unanimously praised the mayor of San Francisco by name for an quote-unquote enlightened administration which has permitted the group to flourish here. This is a matter of grave concern for every parent. Russell L. Walden, assessor and candidate for mayor, declared today, For a city administration to permit this situation to exist is nothing less than scandalous. The whole rotten mess cries for investigation. Mayor Christopher and the Chief of Police, Thomas Cahill, have allowed the city to become the national headquarters of the organized homosexuals in the United States. Beside the article is a notarized copy of the Mattachine Convention's resolution put forth by Hal Call and Bill Brandhove. The section praising Mayor George Christopher and his police chief is circled. Mayor is praised. Sex deviates soar. No neighborhood immune. Cancer is growing. Secret society recruiting cited. That night, 6.45 p.m., KNBC Radio. The truth about the mayor's clean city. An expose. This is not a political speech, but a heart-to-heart talk with the people of San Francisco, especially the mothers and fathers. 
These are the facts. The number of sex deviates in the city has soared by the thousands. Federal Bureau investigators and military police have found there are more than 20 bars and restaurants downtown catering to crowds of young men conducting themselves in a repulsive manner. They move from place to place. They accost normal young men and boys. I say San Francisco is not a closed town, and it is not a clean town. And I charge that conditions involving flagrant moral corruption do exist here, which will revolt every decent person. Under the benign attitude of the Christopher administration, those who practice sex deviation operate in San Francisco today to a shocking extent, under shocking circumstances, and in open and flagrant defiance of the law. So favorable is the official San Francisco climate for the activities of these persons that an organization of sex deviates known as the Mattachine Society actually passed a resolution praising Mayor Christopher by name for what the resolution described as the enlightened attitude of his administration toward them. Pick up your telephone. You'll see the Mattachine Society spelled M-A-T-T-A-C-H-I-N-E listed in it. The Mattachine publish and sell sex literature for the most lurid, distasteful, and disgusting variety. The Mattachine Society is the national voice of the organized sex deviates. Its principles and objectives are subscribed by the thousands of deviates who do not dare to join it. From those thousands come the sex gangs whose abnormal appetites are catered to by the bars and other joints whose operations I have just described. This is a matter of grave concern for every parent. It exposes teenagers to possible contact and contamination in a city admittedly overrun by deviants. Every San Francisco neighborhood is threatened by the bold shadow they cast over the entire community. When I, Russell Walden, am elected mayor, I will appoint men to the police commission who will clean up this town. Reverend Wallace de Ortega Maxi's publishing house puts up the $1,000 fee for the Mattachine Society to file a lawsuit, a $1.1 million lawsuit against Russell Wolden for, quote, wrongfully and maliciously stating that the Mattachine Society exposed teenagers to contact with homosexuals, end quote. Wolden doesn't gain any popularity with the crowd that is often already against Christopher's Gestapo-style S-Squad tactics. Wolden is saying he'll be even harder on crime. Your choices for mayor? Hard on crime, or even harder on crime? Boy, that feels familiar. Hal Call writes to Wardell Pomeroy at the Kinsey Institute. Things have happened so fast and furious, we hardly know where we are. The telephone has rung incessantly. Many have called seriously to learn about the society and to ask for help with problems. Many others, though, have been cranks and crackpots, some of them shouting obscenities when we answered. Within a day... The journalists that gave Mattachine their new publicity boost get another scoop from Hal Call. Bill Brandhove. Hal calls all the major papers and explains Brandhove's role in getting that resolution passed. The reporters recognize this name, a man who has been involved in congressional and mayoral smear campaigns, HUAC contempt charges, blackmail trials. Why was he at a homosexual convention? Journalists search the city for Bill Brandhove. They seem to hit a dead end at the dumpy Grand Hotel in the Tenderloin, where they discover Brandhove has checked out. But right outside, in a parked car plastered with Walden stickers, they find him. I'm not a homosexual, but I joined the Mattachine Society, only to find out about its activities. 
Did you send the notarized copies of the resolution in support of Mayor Christopher to your lawyer for distribution? <laughs> uh, I did. Mr. Brandhove, is your lawyer, Ralph Taylor, Russell Walden's campaign treasurer? <laughs> well... The next day, October 8th... Mystery Man, seen in Smear. Record bears plant for Wolden Smear. Wolden's own team shocked by tactics. Praise for Mayor's policy on deviates, engineered by ex-police informer. Sorted vice charges by Wolden backfire. Hoax revealed. The San Francisco Chronicle calls for Russell Wolden to withdraw from the mayoral race. Russell L. Wolden has put himself beyond the pale of decent politics by his effort to inject the shoddy issue of homosexuality into the mayoral campaign. Journalists report on Brandhove as a police reformer with a shady past, with an alleged communist background and a 1930s sodomy conviction. The smear he caused is not one against the Mattachine Society tricking them into supporting an anti-homosexual mayor with respectability politics, although the Mattachinos were quick to fall in line, but the papers reported a smear campaign against Mayor Christopher and the city of San Francisco for Walden claiming that the city is a haven for homosexuals, and that he would do this on the radio at dinner time while children are gathering with their parents for a meal. They abruptly learn about sexual deviance. It's an invasion. The papers quickly report opposing statements. A special unit of the Vice Squad is detailed to keep tabs on possible deviant colonies and is augmented from time to time by special squads of plainclothesmen from districts, notably North Beach and South of Market, where homosexual invasions may begin. He succeeded only in smearing the city he professes to love. In a blind drive for office, my opponent has degraded the city. I am deeply regretful that his sordid campaign material has been thrown on the doorstep of every home. I want no formal arrangement with Mr. Walden of any kind. The news call bulletin asks Walden about Brandhove. I wouldn't know him if I saw him. The bulletin prints that statement beside a cheery photo of Walden and Brandhove together. Walden returns to the radio and announces a media conspiracy against him. Fake news. San Franciscans. If they destroy me, they will never have another free and open democratic election in this city in your lifetime. Or in mine. Then, Russian-type elections have come to San Francisco. The San Francisco Progress, ever Walden's ally, prints arrest stats and lists of gay bars, proving Walden's claim that the city is not clean. Walden's office sends the transcripts of his speeches and that article to PTAs and religious groups. Across the city, pamphlets are given out door-to-door. You parents of daughters do not sit back complacently feeling that because you have no boys in your family, everything is all right as far as you are concerned. To enlighten you to the existence of a lesbian organization composed of homosexual women whose purposes are the same as the Mattachine Society, the male counterpart, make yourselves acquainted with the name Daughters of Belitis. The pamphlet includes the Daughters of Belitis' office address and phone number. The Daughters haul all of their membership materials and mailing lists out of the office to a secret location just before the SFPD shows up to search the office. They find nothing. Until Election Day, the Daughters operate their organization and plan their magazine out of the back of a station wagon, with a large blanket covering their files. The examiner retracts their call for Walden to leave the race. They call for him to stay in so the voters can show him how much they dislike his treatment of their city. It marks the first time one of our organizations has hit the news smack dab in the middle of a city as large as this. 
and with such force as to bring knowledge of the society's existence home to every citizen in the community. Two papers carried front-page editorials asking Walden to get out of the race. The third said for him to stay in so the voters could have the privilege of chopping his head off. All in all, the society has gained prestige from this. Time magazine reports on San Francisco Democrats and newspapers turning against Walden for his infiltration of the Mattachine Convention in order to make a move against Mayor Christopher. Hal Call believes Brandhove pulled a double cross, offering to infiltrate the Mattachine for Mayor Christopher and then instead selling it to Walden's campaign. A lot of us thought at the time that Bill Brandhove was a real skunk in our midst. He told me, Hell, don't cuss me out. I put you on the map. Now get out, shake the can. You can get more than quarters now. Russell Walden doesn't bow out, and homosexuality's existence is suddenly known in every home. For the first time in the country, it's a major issue in a campaign. Belitis and Mattachine phones are ringing constantly. The important issue here for homosexuals is to register and vote. The daughters organize and register people to vote. Once they've all registered, none of them vote for either candidate. They vote for supervisors, judges, and amendments, but 9,000 people leave the choice for mayor blank. There's such a large number of abstaining registered voters that journalists cover it in the paper. The daughters will later credit this election as the first event to put forth the notion of a homosexual voting bloc. They were clearly right. By the way, you can register right now at vote.org. Perhaps, somehow, the lesser of two evils, Mayor Christopher wins re-election by more than 50,000 votes. It is time to forget the unpleasantness that has occurred in the past few months. San Francisco is on the move in the eyes of California, the nation, and the world. Russell Wolden returns to his job as city assessor to later be indicted for taking bribes. He's convicted and briefly sent to prison, but a lesson is learned here. Mayor Christopher will never again allow himself to look soft on homosexuals. Elver's plan for publicity had already been brilliantly executed. But with the scandal picked up in San Francisco, most of the country has heard about the homosexual mecca that San Francisco has suddenly become. Mattachine has joined Belitis and removed their masks, and the unintended consequences are just beginning. Bill Matson, we have a warrant to search your home. For what, if I may ask, officers? Letters of pornographic nature sent to an inmate in prison. I have no idea what... Homosexual letters, Mr. Matson. Did you flaunt the inmate's letters around at your little convention? Officer. What is this? Mattachine library file. As Denver PD arrests Bill Matson, the officers collect his books, mail, and erotic photos. They search the library checkout list for members who borrowed books by James Barr, Kraft Ebbing, and Magnus Hirschfeld. Two burly gentlemen at the convention proved to be just what they looked like, morals officers. Elver Barker will write in the next Denver newsletter. As he arrives home from teaching junior high students, Elver walks up the stairs to his rear apartment to see the two burly men waiting by his door. We understand you have some pornographic material here. While respectable and courteous in their conduct of the search, the detectives showed an appalling lack of knowledge about the nature of homophiles. Do you consider yourself a homosexual? Yes! 
I got out the Kinsey scale and I pointed out the continuum and gave them a little lecture on sexuality. The officers open a drawer holding a little box full of cards. That is the Mattachine mailing list and that is protected by the U.S. Constitution. The cops look it over, but they put it back. The Denver Post that Saturday prints Bill Matson's address and place of employment. Several other convention attendees' homes are searched. Denver membership plummets. Matson pleads guilty to possession of pornography and pornographic correspondence. $100 and 60 days in jail later, he returns to Nebraska to work in his parents' grocery store. Elver never hears from him again. Written under a pen name in the Denver newsletter and reprinted in the Mattachine Review, member Roland Karcher writes, There are many people, professionals, social reformers, and do-gooders and up-nosed busybodies who making a great show of their concern for society's welfare are forever seeing evil in such things as homosexuality and pornography, and indeed in sex itself. Sex itself has become largely taboo. Heterosexual or homosexual or any other kind, it is removed from public conversation and public art. Children grow up thinking of themselves as abnormal because they don't have a fig leaf in their crotch. The Mattachine Society cannot and does not condone or encourage an interest in pornography. But by the good Lord, the society is interested in freedom and the rights of human beings. And the current censorship practices constitute a gross invasion of privacy. Denver's Mattachine pushes forward with a small ad in the Denver Post for their public discussion forums. They rebuild membership and expand their mailing list to 10 states and over 200 people. Detroit, like Chicago and so many other cities, dwindles to nothing. The homosexual must be realistic, too. Learning to discriminate as to when it is proper to stick his neck out and when it is better to play cool. Remember the late Robert Linder's sage observation that America is not merely anti-homosexual, but actually anti-sex in its official attitudes. That is why Pangraphic Press will soon debut Dorian Book Quarterly to promote a freedom-to-read movement, push back against censorship, and urge public and university libraries to place sociosexual titles on their shelves. Police and postal authorities all over the country beat through letters to find sexual messages like Bill Matson's to the inmate. In Oakland, two women named Helen and Marge enter Mary's first and last chance bar. Women mingle, talk, dance, even kiss. The Alcoholic Beverage Control Board has been watching this bar for over two years, waiting. And now, the mayor seems to be done looking soft on homosexuals. Hey, I'm Buddy. What can I get you, ladies? Whiskey. Neat. Make it two. You got it. Hey. Yeah? You're a cute little butch. <laughs> Thanks. I'm Marge. Shirlene. And Helen. Nice to meet you. Shirlene leans in close to Marge. No kissing at the bar. Back to the restroom for any of that. A couple nights later, Buddy, the bartender, finds Marge and Helen in their usual seats. Still flirting with the Kai Kai girl, Marge? I keep myself occupied. I'm sure you do. Marge sips her beer and watches as Buddy, the bartender, joins another group of women. Marge submits her report. She joined the trio of sex perverts. The majority of the female customers were dressed in mannish costumes. 
Agent recommends the revocation of liquor license for Mary's first and last chance bar on the grounds that it is a resort for sex perverts. Against a movement now amplified by nationwide publicity, a series of arrests sweeps the city, and queer people begin their march, handcuffed, into the 1960s. Next week on Episode 9, The Twilight Woman. Jerry Moore, a Detroit Mattachino, was one of the characters portrayed by a voice actor in this episode. He passed away just last May at the age of 92. He was the last living link to Detroit's earliest gay activism, having served as secretary for the chapter for its 17-month run. Moore typed two sets of their minutes for their meetings, one with their real names and one with their pseudonyms in case the police came knocking. When the chapter disbanded, Moore wrote to the San Francisco leaders, We do not know who to blame, we the members or the flighty gay populace. Jerry Moore also had a drag persona called Lady Jai. That's what his gay friends called him. For tons more bonus content and images to put faces to the many names, follow the podcast on Instagram at Queer Serial, or subscribe to my Patreon at patreon.com slash Queer Serial. You'll get bonus episodes, photos, transcripts, buttons, mugs, books, all kinds of fun stuff. There's a link in the episode notes. I've also got a cute periodic newsletter you can subscribe to in the episode notes as well. Big thanks to some of my top donors for making Season 2 happen. Lucas Vialpondo and Zachary Bishop. Thank you, friends. This season is also funded in part by a grant from the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, San Francisco. Check out thesisters.org for more information. And thanks to my pal Nick Otto Wang and David Duffield at the Denver LGBTQ Center for sharing the Mattachine's Denver Convention transcript. If you've got a minute, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes in order to boost it to new listeners. Snape2006 said, Great, I'm surprised at how good this podcast is. How dare you! Just kidding, thank you. Uh, You could share the podcast with your friends and family. They do not have to be queer to enjoy it. Um, And give it a rating on iTunes if you have the time. Voice actors. The Wolden campaign ad was performed by Mike Kanish. Russell Wolden by Garrett Williams. Mayor George Christopher by John Roth. FBI Special Agent by Evan Camp. Military Officer and Cop by Mike Lysak. Elver Barker by Joey Kane. That I would like to be your educational director again for at least... Jerry Lady Jai Moore by Jacqueline Keeling, J.J. Belanger and Don Lucas by Jacob Wallace, Hal Call by Dominic Caruso, reporters by Mike Kanish, Marissa Barbara Clayton, Julian Hall, Courtney Tesh, Matthew Ryle, Keith Green, and Matthew Ellenwood, Jim Kepner by Gage Kyle, Roland Karcher by Lucian Grateri, Alda Dion by Owen Keenan, and another Mattachino by Dan Unser. Phyllis Lyon by Jane Sorenska, Del Martin by Salvio Gatto, Darlene Armbeck by Lucy Jones, Angry Citizen by Adrian Barker, Another Cop by my dad, Matt Camp, Bill Matson by Tim O'Reilly, Buddy the Bartender by Olgie Freyer, Marge by Anne-Marie Freyedo, and Helen by Jen Freitag. Resources for the podcast can be found at QueerSerial.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 and Blue Dot Sessions. The original Mattachine Society Jester logo is used courtesy of One Archives at the USC Library. I'm Devlin Camp. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Society probes problem of perversion. Yeah. That's it. Like a, okay. Like, this is per, per definitely. <laughs> I just realized I'm not holding my microphone. <laughs> <laughs>